Ultimately, everything kind of boils down to one question. What's the fucking point? So let's talk about it. I'm your host, Valerie Martin, and this podcast brings a little levity and a lot of curiosity to some of the biggest questions and ideas that we meager humans can ponder. Join me and our guests each week as we dig into topics around psychology, human behavior, consciousness, spirituality, philosophy, and more, all with a healthy dose of existential angst. And now, today's episode. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast for episode number 52. Excuse the sound of our loud heater in the background, but it's cold. It's January. And also, I am not going to lie, I feel pretty shitty right now. (laughs) I uh, came down with a cold on New Year's Day, and it's one of those that's like not, except for like the second day, it was uh, pretty bad the second day, largely because I didn't sleep well. And then I've been sleeping better, and it hasn't been one of those like completely knocked out kind of things where I have license to just like sit around and do nothing. Um, so that's good because I don't feel like total shit all the time, but I did not sleep well at all last night. And so I'm feeling a little zombie-esque today, but I didn't want to delay getting this episode out to you guys any longer because I recorded it before the holidays and I am just super excited for you guys to meet Sarah Schuster and to hear all the cool things that she's doing and we talked about everything from like my very beginners remedial questions about gardening because Sarah is now my gardening doula and uh, all of the work that she does with herbalism and she gives us some very practical suggestions on just like two or three things that if you only did these things you would really get a lot of benefits from working with herbs She also hosts a podcast called Tending Seeds, and well, we'll get to that in a minute when I read her bio, Um, but another thing she shares about in the episode that I want to highlight here up front is that she has just started her Patreon where she is sharing uh, monthly full moon zines, so it's called the Full Moon Fill Up is going to be a physical mailing. I'm looking at the Patreon right now because I just signed up. And oh my gosh, they're beautiful. These are like hand addressed, beautiful envelopes with a moon on the outside. You can sign up at multiple tiers. So there's one that just comes with the zine and access to other great digital stuff. There's one that comes with a blend of a tea. So the idea being that everyone waits to open their zine and drink their cup of tea on the full moon that month. And there's prompts and and information and all kinds of oh my gosh I'm just so excited I can't even contain myself um you'll hear in the episode I am just elated about this offering and everything else that Sarah is doing she is a vegan plant witch and the second that I heard that in her bio I was like uh this girl needs to be my friend (laughs) so you're gonna love Sarah as much as I do um Let me share her bio with you. Sarah Schuster is an herbalist, homesteader, and medicinal plant farmer growing on 13 acres of land in Middle Tennessee. She also hosts the Tending Seeds podcast, which covers a variety of topics related to both homesteading and herbalism. Sarah is passionate about plant conservation and also making herbal medicine accessible to as many people as possible. A former middle school teacher, she still loves to teach and offers workshops regularly. She also currently serves on the leadership board for the Tennessee chapter of the American Herbalist Guild. 
So cool. So you can find her at foxandelder.com and on Instagram at foxandelder. Um, she's just so awesome. So that's our interview for today. I'm doing this intro a little backwards. Normally I kind of check in with you guys, which I guess I did a little bit, but I do want to share a couple of recent favorite things. So um, I, if you've talked to me at all within the last couple of weeks, you've probably heard me talk about Fitness Blender. So fitnessblender.com um, is Kelly and Daniel Seegers, a husband and wife team, and they have for the past decade been putting out free full-length fitness videos on YouTube of all different kinds, all different difficulty levels and lengths, and different, like no equipment to lots of equipment, but all stuff that you can do with a little bit of space at home. And I've done them before on and off, um, but I rediscovered them recently and have been, so even though all their videos are free, you can also purchase these low cost programs that they offer where basically they go in and they really intelligently sequence the workout choices for you for like a two week or four week or eight week program, including rest days and all that good stuff. So I decided to do one of their programs and I am just enjoying it so much because it's challenging me to get way out of my comfort zone with what I'm doing, but I don't have to leave the house. Um, like there's a lot of motivation behind getting that check mark of day complete in my little calendar in the system that they have. So I am loving it so much and I love not having to choose what workout I'm going to do because I am definitely a person who can spend 15 minutes just choosing <laughs> what I'm going to do. So that's wonderful. And then also another thing that I have uh, done some in the past and, and am reinvigorated about and rejoined is Brett Larkin's Uplifted program. So Brett Larkin is also a person who offers a ton of free videos on her YouTube channel, um, yoga stuff. And again, all lengths, all difficulty levels, all different styles of yoga. And she, I just love her vibe um, and I love the way she teaches. And so I, I'm rejoining Uplifted. She similarly has programs that you can move through at a set sequence and that, again, is super helpful for me to have that motivation of, all right, this is what I'm supposed to do for today. And you can always skip a day, but um, for me, as long as I'm feeling physically okay enough, I will make the time to make it work. And it's just been really awesome having those two things kind of in my movement of the past couple of weeks. And even when I'm feeling bad, like it's definitely helped me, I think, feel more energized. So just wanted to share those couple of things with y'all, Uplifted and Fitness Blender. Definitely check them out if you're not familiar. And otherwise, uh, I won't keep rambling on about boring stuff. So, oh, okay, one more thing, fine. Um, <laughs> this is just silly. But I have decided that... For some reason, I think I want to watch The Bachelor this year, which is totally ridiculous cotton candy television and, you know, could be definitely argued that there are much better uses of my time. But I don't know. It just kind of feels like a little cultural club that I want to be a part of. So um, we'll see how that experiment goes. Maybe I'll check in and let you guys know. But I, I kind of got interested in it because I heard about this podcast called Two Black Girls, One Rose. And I started listening to their cast bios episode this morning, which is apparently always one of the favorites of the season. So I'm enjoying that so far. Oh, and I'm enjoying um, Almost Done with Michelle Obama's Becoming Book. I know most people who want to read it have already read it by now, but if you haven't, get the audiobook. It's so good. 
Um, so I'll keep you guys posted on my bachelor journey. I think the first episode aired last night, so I can get it on Hulu today. Uh, maybe I'll watch it while I'm doing notes and stuff. So anyway, enjoy this episode with Sarah Schuster, where we talk about much more important things than The Bachelor. Sarah, first of all, thank you for coming out to like kind of the middle of nowhere to record with me. <laughs> no problem. Thanks, Valerie. I also live in the middle of nowhere, so it's nice to see a different set of woods. Yes, exactly. Yeah, we're both in the woods, just you know, not super far apart, but not super close. Yeah, similar and terrain. I'm trying to think if I've done, I don't think I've done a podcast recording at home. So I've done some in my office in town, but like this feels very special. Aww. Well, thank you. <laughs> I got to meet your husband and all your fur kids. I know. So. Yes. Um, so Sarah's going to be helping me figure out how to garden, which we'll get into in a little bit. I'm very overwhelmed, um, but I, I have help now and that's what matters. So Sarah, what have you been most excited about in the last 24 hours? Ooh, in the last 24 hours, I think probably the biggest thing that I have been excited about, okay, it's Friday. I think the biggest thing has just been this new tea blend I just made for someone. Ooh. I've had, I've been doing all these custom herbal tea blends, and the idea was basically that you can come at me with any sort of idea if it's a health issue or maybe a time of day, you know, a wake up tea or a go to sleep at night and calm down tea or anything that you wanted me to make a tea from. And a good friend of mine who is a tarot reader came to me and said, I've been working with this deck. I'm super in love with this one particular card. It was from the Wildwood Tarot. Oh, I and, have that one over there. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was the Woodward card. And cool. he's holding, the figure in the card is holding like a little mug of tea. And she said, I want you to figure out what is in his mug <sighs> and make me a tea for this. Wow. And that was the beginning. And so I made that tea for her. She loved it. And of course, like she posted on her Instagram and then suddenly I was like making all these different tarot teas. I'm kind of working through the entire major arcana now. I'm loving it. But she also reached out to me and said, hey, my birthday is January 2nd. Can you make me a tea for the emperor? Because that's the card for next year for numerology for 2020. And so I sat on it for a while. She asked me like almost a month ago. And I just finished the tea today and got it mailed to her. And I'm so excited because it's it might be my favorite tea one that I've ever made. It has cedar, cardamom, orange, ginger. It's beautiful. I love it. It's so subtle, but like this little bit of spiciness for winter. So yeah, that's probably the most exciting thing was getting that in the mail to her and knowing or hoping that she's going to be really excited when she drinks yeah. it. I mean, you can see my face right now. So for <laughs> listeners, my face has just been like a, a gape um, because I'm like, when can I get this tea? <laughs> I think it's going to have to go in my store because I already made a second batch for myself because I liked it so yeah. much. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Um, and I mean... When you're th- when you're sitting down and you're like, mm, okay, emperor, like where do you even start in thinking of like the the energy of, I mean, I guess, and that that kind of ties into like your identity as a plant witch, right? Yeah, definitely. So for me, thinking about the emperor and what that represents, and just my work with tarot, I've had a daily tarot practice for over two years, and I also use tarot when I'm working with my herbal clients if they're comfortable with it. And so for me, I really love the Wild Unknown deck. The Emperor card in that deck is a picture of this solitary tree standing strong, you know, just by itself, doing its own thing, not needing to interact with others, not trying to alter what others are doing. Uh, But also the Emperor is a card that's all about 
planning, strategizing. It's very much like the structural card of what is it going to take to get your plans and dreams into motion. And so it's like that detail-oriented facet of, you know, bringing things to life and materializing things. And so I was really thinking about that. And so pulling, you know, cedar into that mm. that blend and thinking about, you know, we all are using, if you're into like doing natural decorating for the holidays, so using like dried fruit, so dried orange, and then just that, I love the the seasoning that goes into chai. So pulling out like the cardamom mm. to go with that. And so thinking about what are some really grounding herbs. I also used a little bit of burdock root in there just as like a strengthening and stabilizing herb and some horsetail. And so just really kind of blending that and just thinking about what do I want to be sipping on while I write up my goals for 2020? Ooh, yeah, that's beautiful. And has your brain always worked like that? Like has this has uh, plants and herbalism and all that, is it kind of like in your blood or is it something you came to later? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I had experiences with herbalism when I was younger and gardening and just working in the natural world. And then I left it for, for a while and kind of did that thing where you go, well, this doesn't seem like a realistic career choice for me. This feels sort of irresponsible. And everyone's going, you know, how are you going to make a living this way? So I decided to try the quote unquote responsible careers. And I worked my way through several of them and was <laughs> like, hey, I'm still not happy. I'm quote unquote successful at this, but I'm not actually happy. And I would rather just be struggling financially, which, you know, I also have faith that that's not going to always be the case mm -hmm. either. But yeah, I'd rather tough it out and be happy at the end of the day. Um, I also just I love combining flavors. So talking about like dreaming up teas and things like that. I worked in restaurant management in the culinary world for several years and was thinking about opening my own restaurant and then switched over, you know, switched back to herbalism. But I still sort of have that mind when I'm like working in the kitchen and infusing herbs into everything I cook. And then so putting teas together, I love to bring in like dried fruits and other spices as well to just really make something delicious and, mm -hmm. and memorable. Cool. Yeah. And <clears throat> there's for folks who are not local, there's this amazing shop um, called High Garden that I'm sure is like walking into like heaven for you. Oh, yeah. Um, it's beautiful. You know, just all the teas and herbs. And I, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like a, a wood, a woodland little fairy ville. And at the same time, I think about like um, that doesn't have to be like the pinnacle for everyone with that skill set. Like because I think about well, there's a lot of stress of having a brick and mortar place, whereas like you can be doing a lot of that and sharing a lot of that with people like from your own kitchen and doing it in a way that like really works for your schedule. And I don't know like why that came to mind, but just thinking that like there's so many ways to share that work with people. It's yeah. finding the way that feels right for you. Definitely. And yeah, the folks at High Garden are wonderful. If you're a local to Nashville or even passing through, you should definitely check them out and but like you were saying, having a brick and mortar store is an entirely new set of respons responsibilities. Um, I, I'd sort of like to be a step back more mm -hmm. in the distance from that. So I'd, I'd rather like grow herbs for those folks to sell and offer. Nice. And then, you know, my obligations, I still have responsibility. My obligation is then to my farmland to be out there every day working with that. 
as opposed to the folks at High Garden, you know, working with customers every day. So just a different different way to structure my life. But mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, I'd rather talk to plants. So I'm going to go with that. <laughs> I love it. Um, so for people who are like, what the fuck is homesteading? Can you give us like the basic definition or what it what it is? Okay. I'll preface this with saying this is my version for sure. homesteading because <laughs> there are definitely lots of ways that this, this can take form in someone's life. But basically the idea for homesteading is that you are working towards some measure of self-sufficiency in your life. Some people are trying to be as close to 100% self-sufficient as possible, which is pretty dang hard to do (laughs) in this day and time. But there are folks that are doing it. And, you know, there are probably folks that are at 100%, but we're not hearing about them because they're not posting on Instagram. (laughs) So, but there's also urban homesteaders too that are, you know, living an urban or suburban life. They're still, you know, they're farming. They're trying to grow more of their own food. Or even if they're not growing their own food, maybe they're going to the farmer's market and they've learned how to preserve and can food or learning about herbal medicine. And so it's not that you have to be self-sufficient in every aspect of your life, but you're looking to increase that. So food is one that comes up for a lot of folks. Um, Energy can be another one. So people talk about, you know, wanting to get as off-grid as possible. So going with, you know, solar or composting toilets so that you're not reliant on you know city water and sewer things like that Mm -hmm. so it's it's really kind of up to you like what skill sets you want to you know work on um I definitely would recommend picking like one or two areas to start with so that you don't get like totally overwhelmed because Mm -hmm. there's so much out there that you could be learning and spending time on for sure yeah and that was I I remember that you (laughs) I'm thinking back to how I first um learned about you was at the folk magic fest recently in at um what's that store called aroma g aroma g yeah yeah Yeah, another great place Mm -hmm. in nashville um and i remember like seeing i was there for whatever talk happened before you and then you started talking and i'm just like looking through the books because obviously i have a book problem (laughs) um we're sitting here surrounded by by my books many of which of course have not been read like i'll just admit that um but I hear you talking and I'm like, oh my God, this, I'm, part of me is interested in this, but part of me is super overwhelmed by even thinking about planning because I, I suck at gardening. I know nothing about it. And I just like really get down on myself about that. Um, And, but I remember, so I wasn't like sitting and like paying super close attention because I was like, this makes me anxious. But you said something about like, it's better to know a lot about like one plant or two plants than it is to know a little about a lot of plants. And that was like very soothing for me to hear. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And I stand by it. And so do a lot of other herbalists. And yeah, I think just really we get so caught up in our society with feeling like we have to be able to present ourselves as experts. And I mm-hmm. think that's something that feeds into imposter syndrome for a lot of us is saying that, well, if I don't have a Materia Medica of, you know, 300 plants that I can tell you all the Latin names of and what their en- energetics are and everything that they do and, and how to work with them and who should and shouldn't work with these plants, then I'm not a real herbalist. Mm-hmm. But there are also herbalists out there that know more than I ever will in my entire life who maybe work with a Materia Medica of 5 to 15 plants. Cool. But I could walk in there with any possible problem under the sun and they would be able to go here, here are two plants that I think you should work with mm-hmm. and, and go from there. So yeah, I think having, you know, deep knowledge rather than 
this, you know, broad surface knowledge of everything, I'd rather go deeper with a, a few subjects for sure. Yeah. And so that's like, that's like medicine for my soul as an Enneagram 7 who really loves to like skim the surface of a lot of things. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's exactly what I need. But like, I'm so for maybe the one person listening who remembers this blog post I wrote a few years ago, um, it was something like, I think the title was why I'm happy. I'm not a gardener. And at that point in my evolution, I like, I knew several professional gardeners as friends and like, you know, part envied them, but then part was like, you know what? I hate doing this. Why would I do something that I hate? Like, why do I need to be? So that was like, it felt very liberating at that point in my life to just own that. Like, I don't like doing this, but where I am now is just like recognizing and kind of like swallowing my pride of, of going like, I don't like doing it because I feel stupid. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, and so like, that's why like working with you, um, I'm super excited to just be like, okay, let's like bring it down to the basic, basic basics and, and to realize that it's, it's not, it, it doesn't have to be that hard, you know, to just like take care of a plan. But if you try to learn all the things and like think that you have to understand complex soil science and all of this just to like grow a few plants, then you're going to get overwhelmed and think like, oh, this isn't for me. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And I think it's important to remember, you know, why do you want to garden? This isn't your livelihood. If you grow five plants and you accidentally kill all of them, you know, worst case scenario, your family isn't going to starve. No one's going to, you know, foreclose on the house. And so I think we put so much pressure on ourselves to instantly be good at everything the minute we first start doing it. And we forget that, like, this doesn't have to be a business. It's a hobby. It can be just for fun. No one else even has to know that you're trying to garden unless you want to share that with them. And so it really is no pressure, you know, no risk. I still have plants die all the time. And I just kind of, I think I talked about this at the talk you were at. I just sort of whisper an apology and they go into the compost <laughs> pile <great>. to become <laughs> the next attempt at something else, you know. And we're always going to, we're always going to fail at things and that's okay. And we don't have to put that much pressure on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, your your podcast episode on imposter syndrome and goal setting would be a really good one to listen to this time of year, by the way. Um, so tell us a little bit about your podcast and kind of what your goal is with it. Yeah. So my podcast is called Tending Seeds, and it's about different herbalism and homesteading topics. I started it um, February 1st of this past year. So we're coming up on almost a year that that's been running. And... My goal with that was really for, you know, folks like yourself that are kind of starting to get into homesteading as well. And I was listening to all these other homesteading and herbalism podcasts that were really great and super informative, but they were usually being done by folks who had been doing, you know, acting as homesteaders for a decade or more, and they sort of had everything down. (laughs) And so I was like, well, what would it look like for me, you know, just having moved to our land, you know, I think six months, you know, when I've first started the podcast. We'd only been there for about that long. What would it look like for me to start a podcast where I'm very honest and upfront about all the times I fall on my face and say, I screwed up. This didn't go well. Uh, Oh, I grew this plant thinking I would get this result. And instead it wasn't even the right kind. And so I got something totally different or, and that's a real story that's on the podcast (laughs) and, you know, or 
discovering that the previous homeowners had at one point the house had caught on fire and they had just simply covered it up <laughs> with other materials so that wow. we didn't see see that it was there <laughs> and just kind of share the trials and tribulations with folks and let them know like it's okay to try new things it's okay if you're unsuccessful we're all learning and then also I can share that info with you so maybe I'll save someone else a little bit of time along the way yeah that's awesome so yeah I think once I get maybe you know, a season or two into planting some things and having some success, I'll be ready to listen more to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So um, you talked a little bit about tarot and, and like the idea of kind of herbalism and plant witchery. So I'm I'm curious, like, because I think there's so many different ways to define magic, right? And, and I'm, I'm still, and probably always will be in sort of a, kind of liminal space in terms of my my own sort of understanding we've got a cat trying to visit let's make sure you don't get on the computer (laughs) thank you so my own understanding of like there's so much magic in the natural world and if we're I think that it's it's a lot of like how you know Christianity kind of came in and tried to stomp out paganism and all of that stuff that that we almost think that anything magical or spiritual has to be of the other world whereas really there's a lot of magic that's it's not paranormal it's it's just like part of the earth Mm -hmm. and so that I feel very comfortable with but then it's like okay well then um so you can work with tarot in that like very grounded way you can work with plants in this very grounded way of like this is literally a healing plant like this will make you feel better and that can be magical Mm -hmm. but I'm curious sort of like how you view magic like is it mostly just that sort of grounded like earth-centered kind of perspective or do you view any sort of like paranormal or whatever energetic spiritual kind of aspects of it that you work with okay Wow, there's Big so many ways, so many directions <laughs> I could take that in. So, yeah, I think just going back to what you were saying about, you know, Christianity sort of separating, you know, magic in the natural world from, you know, from that religion. I know witches who are Christian witches. I know Buddhist witches. I know secular witches who, you know, don't really believe in, you know, any sort of divinity. Um, I sort of fall maybe somewhere along that line where, you know, I don't necessarily work with like a pantheon of of gods or goddesses, but I do feel very connected to nature. I do believe there is energy connecting all of us through that, Mm -hmm. Um, humans, non-humans, and the natural world. So I I guess you could also call me an animist. Mm -hmm. And I think when I think about magic, I'm thinking about the energy and intention that we put into everything that we do. And I think... I think we have more ritual and spell work in our day-to-day lives than most of us realize, whether you call yourself a witch or not. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah, like when we wish for things, when we set intentions for things, like when even just like, yeah, having a desire and then taking steps in the direction of that, like I think is all is all can be a form of magic and it doesn't mean somebody has to call it that but I think that that is one way of understanding magic yeah definitely and you know I don't I think we have such a a viewpoint on what magic is Mm -hmm. from the media that we see where we think that you know magic isn't real because I can't snap my fingers and have a flame on the tip of my index finger when I hold it in my hand and, and wow you with it. Unless you're an illusionist type of magician. Right, which, I mean, if you're listening, 
teach me how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, and so it's like we grew up with that. And it's like, I mean, I still live in that world. I love, you know, fantasy books mm-hmm. and, you know, the TV show The Magicians and, every, you know, everything in between. But, you know, there is magic to what we do in the communities that we create, the the sacred spaces. Uh, you, you mentioned liminal spaces. So the idea of like casting a circle and saying that, you know, we're in between worlds right now. We're in a liminal space creating this special space with whoever we're doing ritual work with, but that we know that that work is going to radiate out and to affect the world. And that can be just as simple as the fact that if you take the time to write down your goals and channel your energy into that and set an an intention, you're going to be way more likely to be successful. Mm -hmm. So is it magic that made that happen or was it willpower or was it a combination of the two? I'd like to think it's both. Yeah. Um, but, but that's just, just me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's so much magic to be had if we're willing to look for it and acknowledge it. I mean, I think it's there whether we're looking or not. (laughs) And so it's just a matter of, are we willing to slow down and take the time to see it and acknowledge it? Um, there's a quote that I'm going to horribly mangle. (laughs) It's okay. We can look it up and put it in the show notes too. Which basically the gist of it is that you can either live your life believing that everything is a miracle or that nothing is. Yes. And I mean, I feel like we both probably err on the side of everything is a miracle. And so I feel like that way about magic too. Like I can look and say, oh, it's just a coincidence. Or I can say, ooh, maybe there's some magic there. Maybe there's a message it's on me and my brain to decide what the message is and how to interpret that in my life. No one's doing that for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That quote is it's Einstein, which I think makes it even cooler. Right. And, uh, and I actually am use, I use that quote, not per in the exact words, but more or less, um, citing Einstein in a new song that I just wrote for our band um, <laughs> called Unicorn. Oh, wow. Perfect. Uh, going through a unicorn phase, there's a unicorn magic book right in front of you <laughs> there by one of my magical teachers, Tess Whitehurst, who will probably be coming on sometime in the spring. Awesome. But I, I just love it because, you know, there is so much like like in reading that book and like even when I ordered that book on Amazon and I was like having this dilemma of am I going to carry this book around as an adult woman? Like, should I get the Kindle version? Like, this book literally has a giant pink sparkly unicorn on the cover. I mean, and she's, you know, a 40-year-old woman who's writing the book and probably having the same thoughts. <laughs> um, but it's like, does this mean I believe in literal unicorns? Not, No, not necessarily. But like, there's still something magical that like the archetype of unicorns, the energy like brings to my life. And... I, I don't know. Like, I just think it's really special what can happen when we allow ourselves to to not just have to think, what is the, um, I'm trying to remember, there's a term for, there's like rational and then there's, um, uh, I can't remember what the name is, but it's basically like the idea of almost when you transcend rational, it's like including rational thought, but it goes beyond. So you're you're basically saying like, it's not that it even really matters if these things are literal, but um, but we're able to include them regardless and, and like learn from all of it. Right. And, and that's yeah. sort of how I feel about tarot, mm-hmm. working with that too. I've had people ask me like, what do you think it means? Do you, I don't feel like tarot is predicting my future no. when I utilize the cards, but I feel like it's a really good tool for me to reflect upon my life, but then also I will track what cards I get over the course of a oh, year cool. and see which cards come up most frequently. And so I guess at some point then 
no, I don't believe it predicts my future, but maybe there is something at play for why out of a 78 card deck do I pull these handful of cards all the time and then some of these cards not at all. And, you know, I was a math teacher for, yeah. six, for six years. I'm very nerdy. I love math. I love thinking about statistics and statistical probabilities of things. And so I know people could just be like, well, that, you know, just there was a slim chance of it right. happening and it just happened to happen. Or I can wonder, maybe there was a meaning to this. And I think kind of like what you're saying, I can go beyond the rational and go, does it matter whether this makes sense yeah. or not? Does it matter whether I know if these cards were pulled for a certain reason? No, I'm just going to focus on the end result, which is that these cards did mean something mm-hmm. to me and they did relate to my life and they did help me figure things out as I went through my year. And I yeah. think that's the most important part. Right, right. And like the whole Jungian idea of synchronicities and and that maybe, yes, there are times where like coincidences just kind of like cause and effect and randomness, like just things aligning. And then sometimes like there's just no denying that a lot of times coincidences can feel meaningful. And like, why did these? Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. But there it, is there a reason? But I'm just going to go with it. I mean, perfect example happened to me just this week. Uh, Two days ago, got together with friends, did some ritual work for the upcoming winter solstice, talking about, you know, I just got a tattoo uh, based on the hermit card from the Wild Unknown deck. And it had two other cards that were part of that tattoo that kind of made up some of the side elements of it. During During my reading that night, pulled the hermit card. Next morning, I do a two card spread every day when I get up. The two cards I pulled were the other two cards for my tattoo. And you can just go, well, you know, we can sit there and figure out the statistical you know, likelihood of pulling those cards in that order. <laughs> and yeah, it could happen right. any random day, yeah. anywhere in the world. But it happened, those three cards in that same order. And and to me, I, you know, I just have to laugh at that and go, exactly. you know, I thought getting this, you know, getting this tattoo done, you'd stop following me around for a minute. <laughs> but I guess I was wrong. And I think you can either write it off or you can appreciate, like, and have a little sense of wonder about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Like, just wink and be like, okay, okay, right. I see you. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's great. So since I, I kind of view tarot similarly as, like, not necessarily using it predictively, and yet, you know, I don't think that divination is such an interesting concept because it's like, well, are, does it inherently mean that we're trying to use things predictively? And I don't even think so. You know, it's like, what is this uncovering that I might not have otherwise uncovered if I hadn't seen this or looked at it in this particular way? Um, so since I I feel like a lot of, of like classic spreads, though, sort of um, imply that you are using it in a predictive sense. So like Celtic Cross and, and there's mm-hmm. like future. And I'm just like, so those a lot of spreads just don't feel relevant for me. And that's been like kind of a hump that I've. Uh, tried to get past and, you know, not throw the baby out with the bathwater kind of thing. So uh, I don't remember if I've mentioned on the podcast. If so, I'll just say it again really quick. But one of my favorite spread that I've done in recent months is um, three cards. And you can be thinking of a particular scenario or just in general. Um, And it's first card is ego, what appears to be happening. Second Mm -hmm. card is... um, spirit or reality what's really happening and then third card is like what's my invitation like what am I being invited Mm -hmm. into or to see Um, and it's been really useful I've kind of gotten a little bit out of the habit I was doing it really consistently for a while so 
maybe I'll get back into it. Yeah, but I'm always great. curious, yeah, to like ask other people who maybe kind of have similar views of the tarot. Are there any spreads that you have found particularly helpful, whether it's like day to day basis or more kind of broad strokes? Yeah, um, I can talk about three, actually. So I mentioned I have a daily practice of pulling two cards. I pulled two cards from my tarot deck, and I also have an oracle deck. I usually pull just one card from that. Um, This two-card spread came from Mila Prince. She's on Instagram as the woman who married a bear. She's got a great (laughs) account. You should check out anyone who's listening. And so that two-card spread, the first card is basically, you know, what is the situation for today? And the second card... Uh, she called it, you know, what is the medicine? Mm. And so I sort of look at that as, you know, the first card is what's happening. The second card is how should I respond or what do I need to bring to that situation? So that that's my daily poll that I do. And that's been really useful for me. I have another uh, spread that I use that's a five card spread that I really like. The first card is what is no longer working. And this can either be just like a general life reading for someone or you can apply it to a specific situation or problem or, or a conflict. So the first card is, you know, what's no longer working. The second card is what is working and I should do more of. The third card is what is the present energy with a situation. The fourth card is then what is sort of like the outcome or what will be the the follow-up from this if things continue as they are. And then the fifth card is just sort of an advice card. Mm. Cool. And so, yeah, so I really like that one. That's worked really well. I've had really great feedback from people when, when using that spread with them and, and doing that. And then I just recently started another spread that I'm just calling like the archetype spread. Mm. I did this for one of my really good friends who just got married, wanted a reading before uh, before the wedding the night before. Danger zone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what would so... you do if things like like the <laughs> Ten of Swords, the three, like the right. Death card, like? <laughs> and so I was like, well, we're steering clear of That's that great. because this wedding is happening. So, um, and so in that, and I mean, she didn't have any doubts yeah. or anything. Yeah. It, it wasn't like that. It cool. was just more of a, you know, let's just have some quiet yeah. time before this and and do some tarot. And so I did an archetype reading for her where I basically pulled a card for each archetype or aspect that she embodies in her life right now, mm. just to kind of reflect on that. So. Um, also, because she's a new mom, she has a fairly, fairly young kiddo. And so just looking at the aspect of, you know, a card for her as she is, a card for her moving into this marriage, taking on, you know, the role now of being a wife and partner, as well as then a card for being like the matriarch of her little family, having this this little boy. And then also just her different roles in life that she has, both in work and as a musician and things like that. And so that was really a fun a fun spread to do and I like that because it can be really tailored to an individual person so it's not a set number of cards it's basically you and the person communicating about you know it's more participatory of them mm-hmm. saying you know what archetypes do you feel you embody in your life at this you know this current life stage mm-hmm. very cool yeah there's just so much to explore and so so very many decks <laughs> that are wonderful um hey house I I guess I got on their newsletter recently and um, for better or for worse, like maybe one of the only emails that I've actually opened was when they recently had their deck sale. Oh gosh. So just like warning, make sure you're on their email list every December because all their decks, well, maybe not all of them, but most of them were on sale for like eight or $9 and oh, wow. I've got a big old stack over there as a result. <laughs> um, so yeah, they're just, they're just a lot of fun and highlight things that 
that you might not otherwise see. A chakra spread is another one that I've actually been surprised in the past of like, oh, yeah. oh this actually seems like useful. And again, it's I think part of what my my rational mind when I'm not in a place that I can hold space for both, my rational mind gets hung, hung up on the fact that like, well, but it was just arbitrary that you drew this card for the third chakra and not for... Right. But okay, I mean, maybe I'm still... There's still a message there that feels when I see this card, when I see the hermit in the third chakra, that still brings up something that feels useful and informative to me. But if a different card had been there, it might have been a different useful informative message that yeah. also relates. I mean, tarot is a really great way to clarify your own feelings and intentions on something. You know, if you're sitting down and shuffling a deck and let's, you know, people like to do tarot with relationship issues and stuff. You know, should I break up with this person? But if you feel like you're confused, do some tarot about it because you'll quickly realize the way you respond to how you pull the Mm -hmm. cards that you actually aren't that confused because (laughs) if you start, you know, doing the spread, you know, oh, should I end this relationship that I'm in? And you start pulling like Three of Swords, uh-huh. Death, The Tower, Judgment, whatever, you know, just cards where you're like, oh, and then if your response to that is you feel a sense of relief, like, yeah, then you know, right. Okay, I did. I was ready for this to end. But if instead you're like, this is crap, I'm going to reshuffle and deal again, then that tells me you don't want this relationship to be over. You were looking for a different message. So go ahead and act on that. You you know what you want. Exactly. And that's where I feel like um, unless it's kind of taught in a grounded way that it can be dangerous might be a little dramatic. But like, yeah, I think people can almost hand over their agency to like some literal paper. Right. Because it's it is about noticing your own your own response and your own reaction. And like just because you drew those doesn't mean your relationship is doomed. It's no. like, oh wow, my my re- reaction to that really tells me a lot. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. If you're ever I mean, I would never encourage someone to make major life decisions based on what <laughs> seventy eight cards right. told you. And, and definitely, if you are going to base that on a tarot spread, if you find yourself, you know, going and taking action because the cards, quote unquote, told you to, but you're hating doing it, stop. Right. Like, that's not the way you're supposed to be going then. Right. You know, yeah. I mean, tarot for me, it's it's a conversation starter. It's a way to analyze my own intentions and see what way I'm supposed to be going and I mean, it also helps me in my herbal practice when I'm working with clients, Um, especially for that initial consult that, you know, when you first sit down with a client for the first time, we can easily talk for an hour to an hour and a half or even longer. And we're talking about really intimate things ranging, you know, down to what's your stress level like? What's your love life Mm -hmm. like? Uh, even to, you know, tell me about your bowel movements in detail. And people are like, whoa. Like, I love it. I'm like, we know each <laughs> other real well by the end of this. And and I think that's really hard. And I think it's especially hard for a lot of folks, and I find especially women, to put to have all the attention on them for the sustained amount of time mm-hmm. where we're like, you know, at a coffee shop or over like a Zoom call, just kind of like locking eyes. And I'm like, tell me about, you know, Yeah, tell me about your bowel movements. Tell me about menstruation. Tell me about your stress levels. And do you have night sweats? And do you have nightmares? And all this other stuff. And so I find tarot is a really great way to have something in the middle between us to focus on. Mm. And it sort of takes some of the pressure off where I'm pulling cards and saying, you know, here's what I'm seeing about, you know, 
the body or the spirit or your stress levels or your home life? Does this make sense to you? Am I right? Am I wrong? Like you tell me and you tell me why. And it's a way for us, like now instead of us like locking eyes for 90 straight minutes and talking <laughs> about all this like detailed stuff about you, instead we're just having a conversation about the cards and what what's coming up there. Yeah. That's a very cool way of using them. Um, yeah. There was something else I was going to say and it just popped out of my mind, but it'll come back. So um, your, as far as like what you're up to and what you're offering, we were talking a little before we press record and I got very, very excited about, because um, you're obviously doing your podcast, but you're about to launch a thing. So tell us about it. Yeah. So January 1st. So depending when this comes out, it will either be about to launch or will have just launched. I'm starting a Patreon for something called a full moon fill up. I used to write zines. I, a friend and I, um, also named Sarah, we used to run a zine just together back in my early 20s. And I love it. It's, you know, these individual, you know, independently produced pieces of media. So I was going to do a newsletter on my website, just an electronic email newsletter. And I realized I really wanted something more intimate, something that got into people's hands directly. I love sending snail mail anyway. Mm -hmm. And so the idea for this is it's a quarter page size zine and it will get to you before the full moon each month. It's called the full moon fill up because it's designed to be all positive things ranging from, you know, a little bit of me rambling at the front as my newsletter for the month and talking to you about what's going on on the farm and the seasons and what's happening in the natural world, but also tarot spreads, recipes, herbal information, journal prompts, interactive stuff. And the idea is that we all get this. It'll get to you before the full moon. Hang on to it. We'll all open it up on the full moon together. And so the idea is that we're all reading it. Um, there's going to be another tier of, of the Patreon that includes um, some herbal tea from the farm as well. And so you can like make a cup of that tea that night as well if you want to. And so just the idea, I, I really believe in building community, especially during times like this, where I think a lot of us feel like there's so much upheaval in the world and anxiety. And so the idea that we can build community, have this like full moon lunar check in every month, here's some positive stuff to read. We're all doing it together wherever we are all over the world, you know, drink a nice cup of tea and relax. Mm -hmm. And I, I, yeah, I just love the idea of it being like, analog and you know i i send out a weekly thing i call it my midweek magic email and it's nice. super fun and i try to make it super valuable but like yeah i mean you're you're dealing with just like the fact that everyone and their mom and their cousin has an, an email newsletter and so to offer something that's valuable and really unique and also just has that like fun element like who doesn't love getting like mail that's not bills and credit card offers right um so having that and then knowing that like ooh, we're all gonna open it this same day and drink our tea and no matter where you are and you're looking up at the same moon doing the same thing like yeah and, Very cool. Yeah, and I love the idea that it can then extend even past that for the rest of the month to keep building community with like using like the full moon fill up like a hashtag to say like, mm -hmm. hey, I got my zine. You can look through that and find other people that like cared enough about this to also participate. And who knows, maybe you'll meet your new best friend or something that way. Yeah. Maybe someone in your town is also, you know, reading the zine. Maybe you guys can get together and start a garden together. I, I don't know, but... Uh. Yeah, I That's think we amazing. need more offline connection and community as well as online. We do. And and just like where the where the twain shall meet that like it's sometimes like something like this could even create 
you know, a pen pal friendship or something with people who don't live in the same place. Right. But, yeah. Oh, I'm just remembering like, and I feel like I, I know that on my um, podcast interview with Drew Hicks, which I can't remember off the top of my head, which episode it is, I'll try to put it in the show notes. He's a, he's a Druid guy and mm-hmm. like into a lot of, uh, a lot of this kind of stuff. And he talked about writing letters as a big like kind of practice that he's um, just really loves doing. And I'm just I don't think that we talk specifically about pen pals, but even just talk, thinking about that right now, it like gets me excited and remembering like I I met this girl when I, I was like a super nerd and building these websites when I was like 12 years old and meeting meeting people from all over the country in ICQ chat rooms, mm-hmm. which is like probably kind of dangerous, but I got lucky. Nothing bad ever happened. <laughs> I'm like swap doing makeup swaps with like women all over the world because that yeah. was like before Sephora existed. So all right. I had was like Target um, and then like the, you know, department store stuff I couldn't afford. Anyway, that's a sidebar. But I, I'm thinking of this girl um, from Kansas that I made friends with and we would send each other snail mail and like tapes and it was so cool so like yes I see your zine as being a possible like doorway into that and and then that would be something that you could even encourage like hey if anyone wants to start a pen pal thing like let's do it awesome and yeah I similar to you like the you know I remember fondly the days of you know live journal and, and stuff like that and I also was a member of different groups that did snail mail art projects back and oh. forth. And so sending, you know, like mixed CDs and things like that. And I miss all that. You know, it's like now baby. we're just, yeah, we're just in this age of, you know, Facebook and Twitter. It's all these very short, you know, surface interactions. We were talking about your garden stuff out there about watering and sending those deep roots rather than yeah. those superficial super roots. And I just, you know, I think about that all the time in our interactions too, about like, Instead of just saying, hey, and liking each other's stuff, what if, you know, what if a letter from me showed up in your mailbox like once or twice a month and vice versa? And just having that connection, I I think there's something really important there. Oh, yeah. And sidebar, just like with, you know, the kind of scary direction that our society is headed in. um, I saw a link to this. I think it was New Yorker. Um, Again, I'll try to put it in the show notes. But this really lengthy piece about um, Instagram face, which is like the just this emergence of, you know, this the the woman that just looks that you know she's got these eyes and got these cheekbones and sort of like all all the plastic surgeons that this um, journalist spoke to were basically like yeah it's Kim it's Kim Kardashian like that's what everyone's going for but like that we're moving like people you know getting work done and I'm not shaming plastic surgery by any means like do what you want to do but in terms of the larger cultural issue of like there's just this digital age one of the things it's causing is just more and more and more and more conformity and uh, it's it's scary because yeah. we're we're losing our individuality and the stuff that makes us right. unique and really special which is like yeah. you know I have this whole thing I'm writing a book called Misfit Manifestors and um just I I love the idea of being a misfit and I think we need to hold on to that yeah well like you said do what you want to do but the idea that we're all heading towards you we already have such a narrow idea of uh-huh. of a beauty standard in the society the fact that we're narrowing it even further is really terrifying exactly and i think anything we can do to push back against that and represent ourselves authentically and, and not worry about our appearance and having like you said instagram face or mm-hmm. always using a filter 
Um, just the other day, I, I'm i very shy about putting my face out there. It's why I do a podcast. Um, and I like to just keep the focus on the plants in terms of what I post on Instagram. But I just posted like a short video message in my stories. And one of my friends, you know, that I have not met in person, but we've just gotten to know each other over Instagram, responded and said, hey, like, I hope it's okay to say this to you, but I just, I really appreciate seeing other people with crooked teeth. Mm -hmm. Um, One, I have a crooked, like, bottom front teeth that's just sort of, like, pushed back. And so, yeah, she, to her, it meant a lot to her just to see that representation. And, you know, it's funny, when I first got the message, I first had this initial moment of, like, shame like Mm. oh should I not have put that out there with you know that my teeth look that way and I'm like no it's fine like it's not a problem I'm not embarrassed of this you know this is totally okay it's just who I am and she's not saying anything mean she's acknowledging that hey her mouth also looks like that and it's cool to see that representation yeah like this actually felt good yeah and so I wrote her back like after a minute and I was like thank you like I needed to hear that like Mm. that's super awesome um and yeah I just think you know, not that I need to like pat myself on the back for, for posting that or anything, but I just think it's important, you know, the more people that do that, maybe we can start to widen that idea of like beauty standard or maybe just not even worry about beauty standards at all and just be ourselves and right. it's received however it's received. Yeah. Which is kind of the next level of, you know, I think part of why I just sort of like get tired of, um, body image and body positivity and all that. And, um, I don't, I don't do like a ton of work in that anymore. I still do some professionally, um, with eating disorders, but it's not like my big focus. And I just, I'm like, I get tired of talking about body image because who fucking cares? And I get that, that even saying that there's some privilege in that I get it, but also like, can we get to a point where we can say like, it's not even about like learning to be like, Oh, I love my body. I look so cute. It's like, no, I can respect my body and I can appreciate my body and I can treat it kindly. And like, that's kind of what matters. And if putting on makeup or wearing a certain kind of top, like makes me feel good in my own skin, then that's what matters. But like, it, I just I don't like appearance focused body positivity. I'm like, can we just like love our love ourselves in the sense of respect and appreciation, but like not have it be uh, about like needing to love our aesthetic. Right. Yeah. I don't need anyone to comment on my body <laughs> positively or otherwise. Like yeah. it's my body. I, I have a fat body. I am a fat person and that's fine. But I I don't need any comments negative or otherwise. I don't need to be told that I'm brave to post my, <laughs> you know, to post a yeah. full body shot of myself. Like I, I'm not brave. I'm just existing. That's right. what I'm doing. <laughs> it's not for anyone else's benefit. It's for mine. Yeah. And we were talking also a little before um, we recorded about this like veganism and how, you know, there needs to be more kind of like understanding that, you know, vegan does not equate being thin. And, you know, told you like that it within the eating disorder community, I, I'm really trying to push like anti-diet vegan and and how I've, I think I've said on the podcast before, but intuitive eating calls it uh, play food rather than junk food, which I think is really cool. Like, yeah, we need like nutritious food for sure. I can't eat Oreos and sweet chili Doritos all day, even though they're vegan. I can have them sometimes and then I need some vegetables right. and rice and whatever. So um, but yeah, just not like moralizing food and uh, not assuming that if someone is vegan that they're, you know, 
really concerned about like their macros or whatever the yeah. hell else. <laughs> yeah, or I've actually had I mean there's a lot of fat phobia in the vegan community. Ugh. There's also a lot of fat phobia in our society in general, so it's mm-hmm. not surprising to then see it in a smaller right. subsection of the world. But yeah, and I've also had people tell me like, "Oh, well, veganism doesn't seem to be working for you <laughs> because you're not, you know, fitting this certain image that they have of, of what my body should look like." And I'm like, "Number 1, F you. Number two, <laughs> veganism is an ethical stance. Yeah. It's not a diet. If it was just a diet, we would call it being a, following a plant-based diet. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm really glad that there are some folks that are doing a lot to fight fat phobia in the vegan community. Um, Andy Tabor, who runs mm-hmm. Compassion Co., it's a great uh, t-shirt, mer- uh, vegan merch yeah. company. He also has the Bearded Vegans podcast. He's started to speak about fat phobia cool. in the vegan community at different veg fests and stuff that he goes to. So he's doing some really, really great work. He also has an awesome shirt um, about being like fat, happy vegan. Love I it. love it. It's a great shirt. Um, but yeah, it's a big problem in the community where there's just this idea that, you know, you as a vegan have to look a certain way to quote, promote the lifestyle or whatever. And I'm like, no, like that's not how it works. Like, right. At all. Yeah. And in fact, I think that Um, even though there are going to be people who think that way, like also there are people who just assume that being vegan means that you're eating like salad and like (laughs) salad. (laughs) And so they, I mean, cause I kind of used to think that way Mm -hmm. of like, ah, that sounds horrible. That sounds restrictive. That sounds like not tasty. And so I was just like, why would anyone ever do that? Like, even though my own journey has evolved from like never felt super comfortable eating animals like eating meat but then very much you know justified it but never would have understood until I really educated myself the whole dairy issue um and so I would have just been like what that sounds horrible to give that up like you wouldn't get it to eat anything delicious and then realizing that like how great the food can be and it doesn't have to be you know that you're uh, you know buying a ten dollar wheel of artisanal vegan cheese every week like oh, you can yeah. still eat great stuff affordably at home and oh, it's just wonderful but um I would love to hear a little bit about your journey toward veganism like how long and how did you get there yeah so it's definitely been a journey um I'm I'm 36 now I first went vegetarian when I was 20 it was something that I'd been thinking about for quite a while. It was it sort of came up on my radar through things like Live Journal actually. I didn't really have any real life vegetarian or vegan friends. It was meeting people through Live Journal that were already living, you know, living that way, seeing them make posts about it and write about like what it meant to them. I had some vegan and vegetarian friends that were like super in in hindsight now after going through this own journey myself were so generous and patient with my questions that I'm sure, I mean, I just had the most basic, like, ridiculous questions, I'm sure. And so I went... remember, there's no such thing as a stupid question. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they were pretty ridiculous, though, like, in hindsight, where it's like, you know, just like, kind of like, well, what do you eat? Where do you get your protein? Yeah. And I've always been some, you know, in some form of athletics, and so I was very worried about, you know, with, like, weightlifting and then kickboxing and stuff, like, how am I going to get protein? Like, Mm -hmm. how, you know, how am I going to stay strong and and all this? And so, yeah, I went vegetarian, and I, that was hard. That was a big transition, um, more so for the people in my life than Mm -hmm. for me. Wow. I had a vegan friend who was really encouraging, and he said, well, 
don't don't decide you're going vegetarian. He said, just try it for like a month and see how you feel. And it's really strange that I had such a profound feeling of lightness while I did that. And I realized that because I'd been thinking about going vegetarian for quite a while before I actually made the decision, that when I did finally go vegetarian, I kind of felt this lifting of, of guilt that I didn't even realize I'd been carrying where I had sort of known in the back of my mind from thinking about it that I was like, yeah, I don't want to be eating animals anymore. This does feel wrong to me, especially with the industrial agriculture system. This is definitely not something I feel good about or want to participate in, but just sort of kept pushing it back under the rug and and not acknowledging it because it was going to really rock the boat. You know, I was married to someone at the time who was not okay with not eating meat. Um, And I actually Mm -hmm. went vegetarian we were separated for a year in the middle of our five-year marriage and that's when I went vegetarian because I felt like I could finally because it wasn't going to impact that relationship at the time then unfortunately we ended up getting back together and so then it was like a really really huge issue like Mm -hmm. I literally remember him like waving you know like fried chicken in my face at points and stuff just being like don't you want this you know kind of deal I'm just like don't be a jerk like number one but no I don't want it anymore uh, and I kind of I really never looked back from there. And so a couple years, it took me a few years, but then I eventually did end up going vegan. And part of that was like being really horrified by the dairy industry. And then also realizing that when I thought I was being vegetarian, I actually wasn't because mm-hmm. there are lots of cheeses that involve rennet, which mm-hmm. you can't get without it. It's basically the stomach lining of a calf that goes into a lot of cheese products. And so a lot of cheese is not actually vegetarian. And I had no idea. And I remember when I found that out, like just feeling so horrified and sick to my stomach Mm. because I thought I was quote unquote, like, you know, fighting the good fight and like, you know, walking, you know, this path I had chosen for myself and then feeling like really duped by the food industry Mm -hmm. and to eating something that didn't align with my ethics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, and and that really is the kind of thing that, I don't even think I knew that specifically about rennet, but even just stuff like, you know, that a dairy cow lives like a quarter the life that they would, even if they they're and then they are sent to slaughter. And then the little the the boy cows are sent to slaughter immediately. Um, Like you just don't learn any of that unless you have friends who are telling you. And then if you're not ready to be told, you're probably just like, I don't want to hear it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really disturbing to see images of you know the inside of you know CAFOs the commercial agriculture feeding operations Uh, it's really disturbing it's hard to get those images out of your head and I've never been someone that like shares those images now Mm -hmm. as a vegan I don't like to push it on people because it's also just really disturbing for me to even see in order to then post that or share that somewhere yeah Um, you don't want to shock someone like you don't want them to see it if they're not like seeking to see it right kind of yeah and so I've always just put it out there of like yep I'm I'm vegan if you ever want to talk to me about it um I love cooking for people that's like one of my major love languages yeah and so (laughs) I I love hosting events I love having folks over to the house and making really good vegan food for people and then you know it's it's easy to be able to have that conversation over a vegan meal and just be totally open of like hey you can pick my brain you know, I'll answer any questions you have. And then even with things like, you know, the athletics and the, the protein issue, um, I was a competitive Muay Thai fighter for six years 
and did, you know, weightlifting. And, and I've been a weightlifter since I was 12 years old and, and just love it. And so I did a, I did a, not like a bodybuilding, but uh, one of the local like nutrition stores here in town a few, a few years ago did a contest where you basically would come in and they would do like one of the things where they test and give you like your body composition numbers of like, you know, fat and muscle percentages and stuff. And then you come back after a certain amount of time and they measured again. And so there were like 35 people that did this contest. I'm pretty sure I was the only vegan <laughs> and I won for building the most amount of muscle wow. in that time frame. That's so cool. Yeah. And so I was just like, well, here goes my protein and muscle building question. Like, here's my answer for you. Like, I literally have like the prize pack to show yeah. for it. Yeah. Of, you know, yeah, this has no negative effect whatsoever. Usually I just point to gorillas. I'm like, uh, they're right. doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... Anyway, and and I think that like within the homesteading community, I can imagine that there are a lot of folks in that like quest for whatever self-sufficiency they're seeking who might have small operations of like they have their own chickens who, you know, not only to take the eggs, but to then eat the chickens and, you know, have cows for dairy and then to eat the cows. And and so um, and they, I wonder if some of those folks might say like, well, look at the way that we're doing this like this is this is not you know it's not anything like a CAFO factory farm it's like what it, what's the problem with this and what right. would you kind of if they were open or what would you say to that right um yeah and I definitely get asked that a lot uh, in terms of the whole you know if you were on a desert island question of like oh, well would desert you island eat, you I'll know? eat anyone right I'll eat you yeah I mean I'm a survivor baby <laughs> yeah. sorry um, and that's why I tell them. And, you know, I, you know, we, I've lived in Tennessee. Like I, you know, the first person I was married to that I mentioned who was not down with my vegetarianism. Like, I mean, I know how to clean a deer. I know how to clean mm. fish. I've, I've seen it done. I've been around it. Like it's, it's not that I can't, it's that I choose not to. Mm. And so, yeah, when people ask me that question of, you know, why won't you do this? You know, because people asked when we bought property, you know, oh, like, are you going to, like, get chickens and have eggs? And I'm like, no, like, that's not, that's not my jam. Like, if I had chickens, like, they would just be chickens and yeah. they'd get to do whatever they wanted and I would take care of them, but I'm not going to eat their eggs. Like, sorry. And I think for me, it just comes down to, like, necessity. It's because I don't need to. Right. I have, you know, therein does lie some of the privilege of right. we live in a, you know, I live in a country where, I can have my food needs met without having to eat animals or animal products in order to, to do it. Um, I also hear, you know, the argument from homesteaders of, oh, but vegans, you know, they eat all this processed food and they talk about, you know, like the impossible burger and stuff like that. And, you know, that it's so processed and, you know, everything else or, you know, the food miles of, you know, stuff yeah. getting to me. Um I don't obsess about like the processing issue so much. I am cognizant of food miles and mm -hmm. I and I do try to be aware of that. It's part of why I'm homesteading is that I am trying to grow more and more of our food as much as we possibly can and preserve that. But then even as a vegan, there are things I can do locally. We have there are two different companies within driving distance of me that make their own tempeh and tofu to sell. Mm -hmm. You know, here in Nashville, there's the farm down in Summertown. There's a Short Mountain Cultures, which is less than an hour from here, and that sell, you know, locally here in town that you can get those products from. So to me, the 
the idea of like, oh, food miles, I can still take that into account and still eat, you know, a vegan, a vegan plant-based diet and still be pretty relatively unprocessed if that's something you want to care about, which I don't obsess about that because... Exactly. I mean, and and you can do that as an omnivore too, right? Like you can, you can maybe eat a fair amount of like fruits, vegetables, or quote unquote, like clean meat that's not been, you know, like not like a Burger King or something like that. But then you're having, usually most people are having a mix. And so it's like, you could do that as a vegan too. You can have your impossible burger sometimes, but then you're also eating rice and beans and veggies. Right. And I also think just the idea of like clean food in general, it's not a term I want to use. There's a lot of judgment and purity Mm -hmm. culture and fat phobia again Mm -hmm. built into that where, you know, I eat what I'm going to eat. And yes, we do need to eat food for nutritional value because we will otherwise die of malnutrition and or starvation. But there are other ways that we eat in a way that nourishes us. Sometimes there's emotional eating because I need to be nourished emotionally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's completely just as valid as anything else. And, yeah. and I'll fight you. <laughs> right. Totally. I mean, and I think that, like, um, it doesn't mean that there aren't other ways those emotional needs need to get met. No, totally. But it's 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 okay to some, you know, I always use the example of, like, sometimes I'm anxious or I'm angry and I need to crunch. And that is okay. It doesn't yeah. mean I have to be hungry to, like, eat some chips, you yeah. know? I mean, I'm going to eat a birthday cake on my birthday. Yeah. And people are going to be like, oh, that's processed food and processed flour. And I'm like... Process this, bitch. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> who cares? This yeah. is meeting my emotional needs for celebration. And, and, you know, it's not even just emotional eating in, like, the negative sense of, oh, something's bad, so I need to put something in my mouth. Which, again, right. if that's what you want to do, that is totally okay it's and valid. Choice, yeah. It's your choice. Um, but yeah, like there are positive emotions too. Like I love going to the movie theater and eating popcorn. Right. I love root beer, Uh you know, like (laughs) there's tons of food that I want to eat that I don't make on my own necessarily. Can't always source locally and I'm still going to enjoy it when I have the opportunity to. Yeah. And even like the intuitive eating folks say like, don't let intuitive eating become a diet where you're like, oh no, I'm not, my hunger's cues haven't kicked in yet so i can't eat this like slice of birthday cake for the whatever like eat it yeah it's it's fine yeah just like you know anything else i think the less rigid we are kind of the better it is we don't need diets y'all just stop yeah yeah Yeah. it's it's crazy um yeah i was gonna say like i think another interesting thing i see when i do get pushback from omnivores about being vegetarian or vegan I get suddenly people that are super interested in social justice issues. Mm. So I get told a lot that, you know, migrant workers are picking my vegetables in horrible conditions and being incredibly underpaid. And number one, like, I am super aware of that. I'm involved in social justice work. I grew up in Florida where we boycotted certain restaurants for years and years because of the price of tomatoes and, and like how those workers are being treated. And I'm not trying to be flippant here when I talk mm-hmm. about this, but it just makes me look at them and go, one, are you telling me that you never eat a vegetable? Two, working in meat processing plants is actually one of the most dangerous jobs oh, you can have. Jobs that are also done by migrant workers who are taken advantage of, drastically underpaid. The rates for PTSD there, the rates for physical injury as well are mm-hmm. so incredibly high. The environmental impact of those industries is also so incredibly high but suddenly they only care about you know 
the social justice impact of, you know, you know the, the vegetables that I'm eating. Right. And, you know, if you were coming at me from a place where you were actually focused on the impact from your diet as well, I'd be more than willing to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. But it's never happened. Right. Because it's used as sort of a reason to discredit the choice. Exactly. And, and to feel comfortable with, like, continuing to make whatever choice you're making. Um, and, and I think just let it always comes back to, like, there's not a vegan who has, like, a relative... I can't think of the word, who knows what they're talking about, who would claim that their choices are not having an impact, right? So it's not about living an impact-free life or a life that has no, you're not contributing to suffering of of any workers or of any, you know, the land, whatever. It's like, how do we minimize it? And it sure is a hell of a lot easier to minimize if we cut out animal products and then then we can go from there. We can like exactly. try to support more organic farmers because they're using uh, practices that are kinder for the earth. We can try to support, um, you know, food that's closer and right. all of those things. But but yeah, it's just it is it really yeah. like cuts out a lot of the stuff when you when you make that choice. Yeah, we're getting back into again that purity and perfection mm-hmm. culture which no one can win that game. That game is literally designed so no one can ever win it. And like you said, it's about minimizing suffering and and trying to make the best impact we can. You know, there is no such thing as there no one's eating a cruelty-free diet out right, there. Right, exactly. There is always inherently going to be someone because we are living in an, an industrialized society where we have outsourced all you know, the majority of our food gathering and labor is being outsourced to other people. To make that affordable, there are people being taken advantage of. And Mm -hmm. I think the answer to that isn't even necessarily about vegan or not vegan. It's about getting smaller and more localized so that you can actually see, like, who who are the people that are producing this food for me and to know that they're being cared for. Yeah. It's when we get into these huge, you know, the same couple, couple of companies that are running our food system now where we're so far removed from the people that are actually, like, doing this labor that we benefit from. And so we don't have to see the abuses happening. Same way with the animal industry where we're not seeing those animals because I know the majority of people out there, 99.9% of them, if they saw what was happening inside commercial right. agriculture, they wouldn't stand for it. Yeah. If, if they were living next door to it, they absolutely would not participate in it. And I believe they would also do everything they could to get it to stop as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Paul McCartney was the guy who said uh, if slaughterhouses had glass walls, everyone would be vegetarian. Yeah. Um, And by the way, I will just say that uh, his wife, Linda McCartney, who's like a very well-known like veg uh, chef and has cookbooks and stuff. She also has a line of food in the UK. And we were in Scotland this summer and one of the we were like in the highlands for a lot of it. And so we were kind of like, well, this will be interesting to see like how the food goes. But, you know, if we can just eat a baked potato and some green beans and whatever when we need to. And like a traditional Scottish or, or British breakfast, I guess, is very often like um, baked beans, roasted tomatoes, uh, potato scones, like, and so just leave off the, you know, the eggs and the meat. And like, you got a pretty good meal. Yeah, that sounds um, great. Tomatoes. Yeah. So, uh, but we went to this one inn and I mean, a lot of the places ended up surprising us how amazing the food was. And 
they served us. They, it was like bangers and mash. Um, and when it got there, I literally, because, you know, they they didn't necessarily have all that stuff on the menu, but mm-hmm. they were like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, we know that. We can, we've got some stuff or here's our options. And so, you know, I was like, oh, well, you've got vegan sausages and like you can make the mashed potatoes without butter. Okay, cool. That sounds great. So they bring it out and it was so good. I mean, and, and as a person who, um, as much as I now it's been long enough that I do get kind of like, I, I get grossed out if I think about like, if I actually were to take a bite of meat, like as much as I liked the flavor of it, I would be distressed. Right. So it tasted so good, but I was like, this, is this real? I'm, and I was like very nervous. And like, I asked the cook again. And then like, it wasn't until I had internet that night. Cause he was like, Oh, there's a Lin- Linda McCartney. And I looked them up and like, they indeed were vegan. And I was like, Holy shit. My mind is blown. I mean, and they definitely weren't. Like, you know, the more we got into it, I was like, okay, this is not animal. It's just very convincing. Wow. So, yeah, there's, like, really, really great stuff out there. Um, and, again, that doesn't mean you have to eat it at every meal. Like, you can have, quote, unquote, unprocessed stuff if that's something that matters. But it's yeah. it's a wild time that we live in, isn't it? The food game has changed so much. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's been 16 years I've been vegetarian and you know, I was in a small town when I first went veg and yeah, options were pretty limited. And now it's like, I mean, it's pretty much unheard of and super weird to go to a restaurant unless it's a straight up like barbecue joint Mm -hmm. and not be able to find something to eat. Right. Exactly. And so that to me is again, just, you know, make the convenience and accessibility of that for people to make that an easier jump for people to make. It's just awesome because no one wants to feel like, making this change even if you're fully on board with it you know for the ethical reasons you don't want to feel like you're going to isolate yourself or not be able to participate in social activities with your family and be like the odd one out and so now it's like no you're not going to be like it's it's cool it's super accepted even if you're at a restaurant that's you know not strictly veg or vegan you're going to have options it's it's so great And I always tell people, like, just like you said, your friends were, like, really great and helpful for you. I always tell people, talk to me. Talk to somebody. Yeah. Because there is so much, like, shortcuts that we can help you with and, like, hacks that you figure out for road trips through the middle of nowhere and, like, all this kind of stuff that, like, might seem daunting. But if you just talk to somebody who's done it, it, you can... Pretty much every major city or area has, like, a vegan Facebook group for that area. So you can pop in and they'll usually have like a post like pinned to the top because everyone you know comes in going hi I'm visiting your city like where should I go eat they'll usually have a post or you can search for it or there's like the happy cow app I mean I've made so many awesome like accidental discoveries you know through that that I never would have found any other way like we were just in Vegas for a wedding Mm -hmm. and found like some really amazing restaurants just completely accidentally cool and just, I mean, everywhere you go, it's just more and more prevalent. And it's awesome, awesome to see the tide kind of turning there. Yeah. So before we start to wrap up, I, I'm like, we need to really get your expertise on, like, are there just a few, um, whether they're herbal remedies, like kind of blends, like elder, or I guess elderberry syrup isn't a blend, but it's sort of like making something out of an herb or, um, I don't know, just anything that you think would be like if you could give people just a few recommendations on these are kind of like powerhouses or this is really, really good for this common problem. What did you got for us? Okay. So 
first off, initial preface, not a doctor, not legal yes, advice. Totally. Don't sue me. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> Take your meds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Please see a doctor before using any herbs. They can have interactions with pharmaceuticals yeah. or if you're pregnant or nursing. All right. Cool. Right. Out of the way. <laughs> but uh, I think you mentioned elderberry syrup. I think for this time of year, I love it. I I take, you know, a spoonful of that every day just as like a preventative tonic okay. for wellness. Cool. It's a great herb for boosting your immunity. Um, I like to blend that up with some other stuff in there. So I make an elderberry syrup um, that has like ginger, cinnamon, star anise in it as well. And I sweeten that with a little bit of maple syrup. And people can buy that on your website, right? Yeah. That I sounds can, delicious. Yeah, <laughs> yes. It's super good. I love it. And I, I did workshops this year also to teach people how to make it. So I... You know, my deal is I love teaching. I was a middle school teacher before this. I've always ended up like teaching no matter what role or career I was doing. I want to teach other people how to make herbal medicine. So that's why I do, you know, workshops so often. But then I also understand people are busy and have lives. And sometimes you're like, I don't have time to make this. Can I just purchase it? And so I'm like, mm-hmm. yes, we can do both of those things. But cool. yeah, so elderberry syrup as like a daily tonic. And you can crank that up and take it more often if you're starting to feel a little under the weather. The other thing I would really encourage people to look at is most of us don't really have good optimal gut health. Um, I see digestive issues in almost all of my clients that I work with that they're just having, you know, some sort of tummy problem ranging from mild to moderate to severe. And that can just impact so much of your life. So I encourage folks to work with digestive bitters, if at all possible. Hmm. So that's just, um, there are different variations on that. But the basic idea is that it's an it's an herbal tincture that you're taking just like 15 to 20 or 30 drops of in a little bit of water. And you're taking that about 15 to 20 minutes before you eat. And it's basically sending a signal to your body, that bitter on the tongue, you want to really get it on the tongue. That's why you don't take it in like a pill form. Mm-hmm. It's basically signaling your body like, hey, you need to wake up and get ready to work. It's telling your digestive system like, we're going to work now. There's food incoming. And it basically it kind of primes the pump there. Cool. So by the time you eat, your body is like ready to go, ready to start, you know, working. And, and that way you're not having that slow, sluggish digestion. A lot of us have a really stagnant uh, digestive system. Yeah. And I'm sure that this could be a longer question, but in terms of a tincture like that, you're like picking like two or three herbs. You're like boiling them. You're, what, like, what does that look like? Yeah. So I'm tincturing those in, in alcohol. So basically using alcohol as the extractive menstruum there mm-hmm. for different herbs. You kind of so, just put them in the alcohol. Right. Okay. And so I'm picking, I, I do different combinations. So I try to make the palatable and a little bit enjoyable you you often see bitters used also as like a cocktail ingredient so you can, yeah. you can get really a, as wild as you want with like flavor combinations so a lot of the bitter herbs that you're using are uh, roots a lot of times so like dandelion root burdock root mm-hmm. um, things like that and then I like to pair those with some other kind of flavorings to kind of mix in mm-hmm. I have like a grapefruit chai bitter that I really Ooh, love yeah. that formula or like a dandelion orange. I also have a root beer bitter formula that I really enjoy. Hmm. Um, and again, and so the nice thing about that is that you can work with these either before you eat or they're also helpful if maybe you overeat and you've got like an upset stomach, they can help you kind of calm down and settle that as well. Or if you're just someone who drinks like, you know, seltzer water, you can throw just like a dropper full Mm. of a digestive bitter in there as well, just for a little extra flavor. So like the root beer bitters, super yummy combo and just getting a little bit of extra stimulation and a 
yeah, that's a good starting point, I think, cool. for herbals. Yeah. And is there anything that, because I feel like, uh, and in fact, my last episode, I talked about um, anxiety and depression. Mm. And I mean, could be either one of those. And of course, like it's it's strange because they almost seem like like opposites. You know, anxiety, you've got too much energy. And as we would say, like in yogic terms, like there's rajasic, like it's it's like hot, there's just too much. And then there's depression where it's like tamasic, like slow, lethargic. And yet a lot of times for people, they're, you know, intertwined with each other and they can cause each other. Yeah. So like whether for one or I, either one of those, do you have any mm-hmm. suggestions? Yeah. Well, and kind of to go off of what you're saying that they do often kind of play off of one, one another, And because they both represent an an imbalance, they Mm -hmm. may be in different directions, but it's telling you that something's off in your system, Um, you know, and not knocking pharmaceuticals, like the thing that can be off can literally be your brain chemistry Mm -hmm. and herbs may not be the, be the solution for that. And that's totally cool. So I believe in using all the tools in the toolbox Mm -hmm. to get whatever the best end result for each individual available. Um, so if someone's not on pharmaceuticals for anxiety or depression, though, if this is maybe more of an occasional, like, yeah, like low-grade thing, yeah, yeah, then things I would look at for, you know, anxiety would be in the class of, like, nervine herbs. So calming, restorative herbs for the nervous system. Oat mm. straw is one of my mm. favorites, just as, like, an oat straw tea. Or if you want to step it up a notch, um, milky oat tincture is kind of like a little stronger from that kind of different, different actions. So for me, oat straw is more of just like a gentle calming, like maybe end of the day. I put that in a lot of like nighttime tea blends to help you wind down. Whereas if your anxiety is maybe more extreme or, or you're just dealing with like a really tough time in your life, I might say, Hey, maybe some fresh milky oat tincture, different mechanism of of Mm -hmm. action there. Also, I like passion flower is one of my favorites. It's the state wildflower here in Tennessee. So it grows kind of all over. So I love to use, you know, what's outside my door and that literally is at my house. It's <laughs> all over. Um, passion flower is great for, um, for sleep. Um, and particularly for if you have those like circling thoughts. So if you're someone who gets into bed at night and that anxiety kicks in, where you're just like running through the same like to-do list or worries or whatever mm-hmm. over and over again. So that like nighttime sleep anxiety, passion flower is really good at like slowing that down. Mm. And then um, another herb that I've started um, building a relationship with recently that I love is blue vervain, which is ideal for, and I think this applies to a lot of us, they'll sometimes call it being like a type A personality, <laughs> but really just more people who are wound very tightly which can often then manifest yeah. as anxiety, but you're kind of just wound tight. You're always looking at maybe not so much being type A, but that can be part of it, mm-hmm. but also just kind of like that people pleasing, always worried about like, am I doing enough? You're that constant caregiver yeah. kind of role and you're just running yourself ragged with that. Blue Vervain can be a really great ally. Mm. And that's like a low dose herb where you can do three to five drops of that I can find will start calming me down Mm. really quickly. Um, And we always, with herbs, we want to use the the lowest effective dose. Yeah. um, Just out of respect for the plants. Like, (laughs) you don't need a cup if if 
a teaspoon will do. And is blue vervain something that like somebody could buy some seeds and just plant in a pot and grow it in their kitchen window? Or is it the kind of thing where it's a little specialized and they might want to yeah. buy a tincture? It's, yeah, it's it's not difficult to grow, but I think in terms of how you would use it, I prefer it as a tincture just because mm-hmm. it's more portable and because because I only need three or five drops yeah. of it if I'm starting to feel overwhelmed as opposed to needing to like make tea or something, I can just carry that tincture in my bag. Mm. So I like just tincture of that is is really useful. Um, You also, you mentioned, you know, depression as well. So I think just uplifting herbs for that. Holy basil or Mm -hmm. also known as Tulsi, I find to be just really just uplifting and balancing. A lot of people go for St. John's wort right off the bat because that's one of the most well-known herbs because of its interaction um, with pharmaceuticals, that if you're taking anything, any prescription meds, you don't want to use St. John's wort. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And that's because um, we get really locked in to, instead of a holistic approach to medicine, even as herbalists, I sometimes see people getting really into this allopathic of, you know, I have a symptom. This is the plant. Do these match up? Mm-hmm. Plants don't do just one thing. And so we think about St. John's wort as being you know, this uplifting, bright, cheery plant. We typically um, harvest it at the summer solstice, you know, the brightest, sunniest day of the year. It's also really good at increasing liver function. And that's why you don't take it with pharmaceuticals is because every pharmaceutical has a half-life. And so when St. John's wort, you know, you start working with that plant, it's kicking your liver into overdrive and making it work more efficiently So basically, people felt like their antidepressants weren't working because the St. John's wort was flushing. It was lowering the half-life. It was flushing the antidepressants out because your liver was functioning more optimally, basically. And so the pharmaceutical wasn't doing its its job anymore because it was leaving your system too quickly. So it's not that it was like canceling it out. The antidepressant was still working. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't present in your system long enough anymore. Yeah, interesting. So again, it's like reiterates that if you are on something and, you know, your doctor always has you fill out that form of like what you're taking – put all your herbal stuff on there. Yeah, for and, sure. Yeah. And yeah. like that, that if it doesn't mean that like, oh, well just never combine it, but just know what you're getting into or talk to right. someone who does. Yeah, exactly. And there are lots of herbs out there that are super, you know, kid friendly, senior friendly, mm-hmm. um, okay to use when pregnant and nursing. It's just about knowing which ones are okay for your given situation. And, you know, there are lots of really great, deep nourishing herbs out there that can help you build up your system, even if you are taking, you know, pharmaceuticals or pregnant or something. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Well, this has been amazing. <laughs> I'm so happy. And I feel like now I have like a gardening doula yes. to help me figure <laughs> out, to get out of my head and just realize it doesn't have to be that hard. Oh my gosh. Sarah, what is the fucking point of anything? <laughs> I think honestly, the point is living living your life in a way that you know lines up with your integrity to where you don't feel like you're betraying yourself and your values, building community while you do it, connecting with others, because what is the point if you're not doing that? And I say this as someone who has the hermit card tattooed on them. (laughs) Um, But still, it is about community. It is about connection with others. And I think, yeah, any way that we can reduce harm and suffering along the way while we do it, I think that's the point. Mm, Amen. 
All right. Thank you so much. And where can people right. find you online? Because And that will all be in the show notes, but tell us now, too. All right. Thanks, Valerie. So, yeah, you can find me Tending Seeds podcast. You can find anywhere you listen to podcasts, anywhere you listen to this one as well. And you can also find me on Instagram, Fox and Elder, and on Facebook, or foxandelder.com. Yeah. So, like, custom tinctures, teas, all that good stuff. Uh, I am getting in on that shit. So, <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Valerie. OMG, friend, you made it all the way to the end of the episode. It is truly an honor that you've chosen to spend this time with me. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can find show notes for this and other episodes at ValerieKMartin.com slash podcast. And that's just the letter K. And just to make it a little confusing, you can find me on Instagram at Val K. Martin, V-A-L-K-A-Y Martin, spelled out. I love getting DMs from you guys about what you're enjoying in the podcast, questions, ideas for topics or interviews. And if you want to bring a huge smile to my face, leave a quick rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps so much. Just go to bit.ly slash WTFP review, all lowercase, and it'll take you less than a minute. I'll see you next time. And until then, keep asking the big questions.